This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. As we record this program, it's Halloween in the United States. That can only mean Day of the Dead celebrations are just ahead in Mexico and elsewhere in Latin America. This week, Mexico, embracing the culture of death. We'll take a closer look. But first, Megan Eckhamel is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Indigenous women lobbied this week for more political power at a world conference in Peru. The conference aimed to highlight the problem of gender-based violence, advocate for a more visible role for women in societal decision-making, and discuss other common issues among indigenous communities. Rocio Ila talks about the conference. We are advocating for indigenous women's participation in all levels of public policies. In our opinion, women should have access to the spaces of power. Women from seven global regions attended the event aimed at amplifying the need for more rights for indigenous women. The conference also serves as preparation for the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples. That conference will meet at the United Nations in New York City in September next year. Brazil is planning to produce low-cost measles and rubella vaccine for developing African, Asian, and Latin American countries. The supplies will gradually hit 30 million doses per year in 2017. Brazil exports vaccines for 75 countries, but this vaccine will be produced for the sole purpose of being exported. It's expected to be the cheapest vaccine on the market. Brazilian company Biomanguinos has been producing a combination measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine since 2003, but it's too expensive for many developing countries. Artisan cheese lovers in Brazil have reason to celebrate. For more than 50 years, unpasteurized cheeses were illegal until the country changed the law recently. Lawmakers lifted the limits on how mature a cheese must be. Artisan cheesemakers were smuggling their cheeses to specialty shops around the country. Since the traditional way of making cheeses did not comply with the law, traditional cheesemakers had to find ways to sell their products. The law even sparked a documentary about artisan cheese and why it was illegal in all but the state of Minas. Canastra cheese, a traditional Brazilian artisan cheese, was so popular smugglers sold it throughout Brazil. Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto has championed the tax on junk food in an effort to help the public health of the country. While looking out for the health of his people, the tax could take a toll on the companies that have made their fortune on comida chatarra, or junk food. The debate on the tax has become daily front-page news, and New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has spent millions in support of President Peña Nieto's stance. It's even picked up a nickname, the Bloomberg tax. The owners of these companies have financial and political clout that rival the tycoons of the United States. Forbes magazine ranked four as part of Mexico's 15 largest public companies. Grupo Bimbo, one of the large Mexican food companies, owns well-known brands in the United States like Sara Lee and Thomas English Muffins. 
The United Nations says Mexico is the most obese country in the world, with 70% of the population listed as overweight. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Eckhamel. Thanks, Megan. Now it's time to sort out some cultural differences. Just to be clear, Halloween, which has become a holiday filled with costumes, treats, and parties, is the celebration that precedes All Saints' Day and then All Souls' Day in Christianity. But in Mexico and elsewhere in some parts of Latin America, the celebrations of All Saints' and All Souls' Days merged with older traditions, and they have become what we now call the Day of the Dead. We asked Professor Rhonda Buchanan at the University of Louisville for background on the celebrations. Buchanan is the director of the university's program in Latin American and Latino studies. She's known for erecting altars at the university and throughout Louisville as part of the Day of the Dead festivities. Here are excerpts from our long-distance phone conversation. At the University of Louisville on campus, it all began uh, with a a tribute to the victims of 9-11 in 2001, and it has grown to be a very, very big celebration on campus with altars and uh, uh, other ex-votos. This is very important for Latino culture here in the United States, is it not? Yes, it is, and it's a way to, uh, I believe that the uh, growing Latino communities uh, across the United States, and particularly here in Louisville, really appreciate the efforts that people put forth, and and we include them as well, to help us to install altars. I know that in Mexico, um, there's sort of a stereotype that the Day of the Dead is the same all over the, the, the country, and that's just not the case. For example... Maybe you've heard of the author um, Octavio Paz, who is um, the Nobel Prize author. He's he's done a lot to 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 give the idea that Mexicans embrace death, mock death, and so forth. And he has a there's a quote that um, uh, by him that says the word death is not pronounced in New York, in Paris, in London because it burns the lips. The Mexican, in contrast, is familiar with death jokes about it, caresses it, sleeps with it, celebrates it. It is one of his favorite toys and his most steadfast love. Now, with that in mind, I think that that sort of goes hand in hand with what you might see in the marketplaces in Mexico City, where you'll see sugar skulls that are decorated and might have the name of the uh, of the of the, you can, the children will have their name put on the the skulls or the name of the loved one who has passed on. Uh, they, you'll see uh, tiny um, like marzipan figures that are uh, that reflect uh, the different professions. You might find a skeleton who's a dentist or a skeleton who is a um, an, an artist. Um, they have the bakeries are filled with pan de muertos, the day of the dead bread, which has uh, shaped like human beings or very big, big round loaves with the with the the um, with uh, bones embedded in them, and uh, uh, so it, it's very colorful. And perhaps that aspect that he re- refers to as joking about death. Um, Octavio Paz would go hand-in-hand with with the way it's celebrated in Mexico City. However, in the the rural areas, there's a much more um, serene uh, ritual involved, a a feeling of serenity and of of welcoming the dead back on, on, on November 1st and 2nd. And there is a difference between those two days, if you would like me to explain that a little bit. Yes, please. Okay. 
but it's my understanding that there is a connection to the Aztec traditions and that the Aztecs also uh, had the idea that death was not the end and that the dead would come back and that on um, the November 1st, uh, the, that's when we celebrate and welcome home the children. It's called El Dia de los Inocentes in Spanish. And the, 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 the Aztecs had what was called a, a celebration for the dead, the celebration of the little deaths, Fiesta de los Muertecitos. And then they had a, a, another celebration for Fiesta Grande de los Muertos, and that was for the, more the adults. And these celebrations um, were also involved with the, the end of the agricultural cycle and the whole idea of renewal. Then, of course, when the Spaniards came, um, you know, in the Catholicism, there is the, the All Souls Day, All Saints Day, November 1st, and All Souls Day. So things sort of got merged in that respect. But the whole idea that these, the, the idea of agricultural cycles is, is involved with that. For example, in, in the Aztec uh, society, I understand that, that this took place more toward the end of the summer, toward the harvest time, and that in the first days of July, uh, that's when the seeds need to be planted in the earth so that by the day of the dead time, they reach their splendor, and that's when you harvest the sempasucho, which is marigolds. That's the day of the dead. That was the flower that the Aztecs used for, for this celebration. So that continues into this day. I want to go back to what you said about Octavio Paz and and his quote. So in it, it's not really a morbid fascination with death. It's it's a different embracing of death in the Mexican tradition. I would say yes, and I would also say it has a very healing quality and a very communal quality. And I say that's one of the major differences maybe between the what, what goes on in the big cities and what goes on in the communities. In the communities... Um, not to say that this does not happen in, 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 in cities and in houses, but in the communities in particular, there are two important aspects and, um, that, that, that you need to consider. And one is the creation or the um, installation of altars in the homes in a very special place that is where they, some homes actually have a room for this. Others, they just have to move the furniture. And the altars um, are are erected in such a way that they are an invitation for the loved one to come back and visit. So a very uh, central feature of the altar, of course, would be a photograph of the loved one, maybe multiple photographs, and an arch is, uh, is, is always erected above. And it has several layers, uh, several levels to, 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 to represent heaven and earth. And also the four elements should be present. So air, fire, earth, and water. So, for example, the air, you always see that papel picado, which is that beautiful colored paper that's cut out, and so the air can flow through. And fire, of course, would be the candlelight, um, many votives and, and candles on there. And the ashes, earth, uh, we have the, they burn the incense of copal. And water is, has to be present. There has to be a glass of water or maybe a pitcher next to it because the souls have traveled very, very far to get there. And often... Um, there will be a path of marigold petals leading the way up to the altar. And sometimes they'll put a chair next to the altar for the loved one to sit down. And then they'll always have things represented on the altar. If it's a child, 
that's being remembered. You know, they would have their favorite toys and such, if, uh, if, and foods. And for adults, you might see their favorite bourbon or tequila brand or uh, cigarettes that they might have smoked that, who knows, it may have been the reason for their untimely death, too. Um, so the, these are all things that, that, that need to be represented on the altar. And it's also a time of atonement. So people come and they visit, they go from house to house and they visit and show their respects. And it's a time that if somebody had had a quarrel with a certain family or something, it's a time when, when, when those amends may be made. There are variations of this particular tradition in Guatemala, in Ecuador, yes. in other parts of Latin America too. Yes, I could mention in Guatemala one tradition that we have celebrated in a big way. We have the students create these big kites. They're called barilotes. And this is a tradition that comes from Guatemala, and I must have something to do with the air, you know, the, the, that, that, that idea. And, and they're done with very colorful, um, like, uh, tissue paper. And we adorn the, 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 the three floors of the library with those. So when you walk in, you look around, and it's, you're just completely surrounded by that. Um, another constant that I would say probably is, is also observed not only in, in Mexico, but also Guatemala, and I know from uh, friends of mine uh, that live in Argentina, in the rural part of Argentina, up near Bolivia, where there's a big indigenous um, uh, community in Jujuy, the idea of going to the cemetery and cleaning the cemeteries, cleaning the tombs, and preparing them for the return of the loved ones. And um, this this is something that is done in advance. Of, uh, the week before or so, they will go and they'll clean. They'll, in Mexico, they erect canopies over the graves, and there are extra crosses that are put there and lots of flowers, lots of chrysanthemums and marigolds it's, and lots of candles. It's just a, a most spectacular sight. And then the people go, and they take the favorite foods. There's a lot of preparation of the favorite foods, and these go on the altars in the houses and also at the, at the tombs. I do believe um, it's a comfort and not something that should be taken as, you know, creepy, weird, or, or something like on those lines. It really is, is, is a very um, beautiful tradition, and I do believe and, and hope that with the more and more um, a Hispanic presence in the United States, that it will become something so familiar, uh, just as familiar to people here as Halloween is. Thank you. Professor Rhonda Buchanan, Director of Latin American and Latino Studies at the University of Louisville, our guest on Latin Pulse today. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up from Day of the Dead to Santa Muerte, we'll have more on Mexico's death culture. Stay with us. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Professor Andrew Chestnut of Virginia Commonwealth University is the author of Devoted to Death, Santa Morte, the Skeleton Saint. Earlier this year, Chestnut's publisher released the Spanish-language version of the book. 
Last Halloween, we visited with him about the folk saint, Santa Muerte. So this year, in a follow-up, he dropped by our studios to discuss how Santa Muerte has become the favorite of Mexico's drug cartels. Here are excerpts from our conversation. Yeah, in fact, that really was was what sparked my interest in Santa Muerte, that in spring of 2009, I saw the news that the uh, the Mexican army had sent uh, bulldozers and backhoes onto the uh, Texas-California-Mexico border to bulldoze some 40 Santa Muerte shrines. And so it was very, very apparent that under the Calderon administration, Santa Muerte, Saint Death, had been identified as spiritual enemy number one of the Mexican government in its, uh, in its battles against the uh, drug cartels in Mexico. There is no doubt that she does play that role and has an association with certain cartel members. Um, and I write about that in the book, the black chapter of Santa Muerte signifying the saint death of vengeance and also protection as well. So that is one of her roles, an important part of the roles. Is there any particular cartel that seems to revere this folk sake more than the others? Well, we actually need more research on this, but from media reports, it would seem to be the case that there might be a greater linkage with the cartel of the uh, hyperviolent setas um, who've been uh, who've been operating much, uh, particularly in northern Mexico on the border, taking on uh, especially the Sinaloa cartel. So she's ubiquitous. Uh, cartel members have been arrested on both sides of the border from all the different cartels operating in Mexico. But it would appear from first glance and media reports that there might be a special association with the uh, Zetas. Why do the Zetas or some of these other groups, why do they favor her? Well, I think she has a particular appeal to those on the uh, wrong side of the law because she is not a Christian saint. She's not the Virgin of Guadalupe, and she's not uh, St. Jude, the patron of lost causes, who's also very, very uh, popular in Mexico. And so since she's not a Christian saint, but a Mexican folk saint, one can ask her for miracles and petitions that aren't necessarily of Christian morality. And so thus a special appeal to those who are engaging in deeds that would be condemned as, as uh, immoral or sinful uh, from a Christian vantage. Are we talking about black magic here? We are in some cases talking about black magic, but... In most cases, it really goes beyond that because she really is venerated as a saint. And the type of petitions and the type of uh, ways in which uh, devotees engage with her goes beyond mere magic. There is that element and, and there are people who do engage in kind of pure magic. But I, I really think for most devotees, this really is much more in the realm of religion than magic. Although having said that, and being a professor of religious studies, I should say that often um, there are elements of religion that integrate magic, and it's not always easy to distinguish between the two. You mentioned the Zetas and characterized them as hyper-violent. We, we've seen in the drug war... Um, people beheaded as part of it, um, bodies consumed in different ways to try to remove evidence of them. Um, and, and so the, the drug war that has claimed more than 100,000 lives in Mexico in the past six or seven years 
is this hyper-violent place. What is the connection between the veneration of this saint that may be connected to black magic or, or to the blacker side of, of religion uh, and this hyper-violence? Is there any? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Her cult has proliferated, has mushroomed during this time of great death and dying. As you pointed out, we're almost at 100,000 deaths in the past seven years uh, with no end to it on the horizon. So, yeah, there's there's a great connection in, in that her cult, the saint, the personification of death, has proliferated the, at this time of death and dying. Um, so there is that special appeal even more specifically to, to Mexicans and not only those involved in the drug industry, but Mexicans who feel like death might be imminent, might be around the corner. Uh, who better to ask for a few more grains of, of sand in the hourglass of life than death herself? And of course, I say herself because she's usually regarded as a female figure in Mexico and, and here in the U.S. as well. So do we see these cartel members um, praying to this saint, making offerings to this saint as a way to avoid hits? Yes, yes. Uh, she would be employed both in a defensive measure and also offensive. A lot of There's a lot of prayers and petitions asking Santa Muerte to use her scythe as a shield, as protection from law enforcement agents or from rival cartels who are going after them. But of course, her scythe can also be an offensive weapon to command her to go after those same agents of the law and rival cartel members. You mentioned in the previous administration, the Calderon administration, this this offensive to take out shrines that, that honored Santa Muerte. Do we see the same thing happening in this new administration, the Peña Nieto administration? And do we also see a reaction from the church uh, more recently to this veneration of this folk saint? Great, and that's that's really a, a double question there. Um, no, so far, so far in the first months of Peña Nieto, we don't see the same offensive against Santa Muerte, and I suspect that that owes in part because the pre the party of Peña Nieto doesn't, isn't the same party, doesn't have the same connections to the Catholic Church as Calderon's Pan Party did. Um, those, the Pan Party uh, and uh, the Catholic Church are very close. In fact, it could be the case that it was actually uh, Catholic bishops in northern Mexico who asked the Calderon administration to demolish those 40-some uh, shrines on the border. Uh, yes, uh, the most the Mexican Church uh, has made several condemnations going back five or six years of Santa Muerte in Mexico. But what really made headlines was in last May, uh, Cardinal uh, Ravasi, who is the president of the uh, the Pontificate for Culture of the Vatican, made a four day tour in Mexico. Brought his uh, program called the Courtyard of Gentiles, a program ostensibly to engage with non-believers. First time he had taken this program outside of Europe to a non-European country. And it basically, his four days in Mexico basically became an anti-Santa Muerte tour. On each, each of the four days, on four separate uh, occasions, he actually condemned Santa Muerte. He called her anti-religion, 
uh, blasphemous. I don't think you use the term narco religion, but you do hear a lot of uh, Mexican Catholic clerics using that term. And so four days and four separate condemnations of Santa Muerte. And uh, this is the first time I can think of recent history that one of a, to a top Vatican official has actually taken upon himself to, to condemn a folk saint. In our last interview, you talked about the 500 years of history of this particular folk saint, maybe even more. Why do we see Mexico and Mexicans venerate a saint that represents death? And, and what is it about this culture of death in Mexico? Even a lot of Mexicans aren't clear on the great trio of death in Mexico because you also have the tradition of La Catrina, La Calavera Catrina, who is a high society female skeleton figure of Mexican folklore who's ubiquitous throughout Mexico. And you also have the upcoming Days of the Dead as well, November 1, November 2. And so a lot of Mexicans themselves really aren't clear on those distinctions. The most important factor in her meteoric growth in the last uh, 12 to 13 years really is her reputation for being a speedy, efficacious miracle worker. What most people are asking for, whether it be the narco asking for his shipment of crystal meth to arrive safely in D.C., or the impoverished housewife asking that her baby be cured of hepatitis, she has developed a reputation for being incredibly speedy and efficacious in granting miracles. I don't know how many devotees I interviewed at Tepito, her historic shrine in the most notorious barrio of Mexico City, who had been devotees of St. Jude, again, the patron of lost causes, huge saint on the Mexican religious landscape. And they said, no, you know, I was asking St. Jude for this particular miracle for the past three or four months. He never came through. I came over here. I tried my hand with uh, St. Death. And within a few days, I got that job that I was looking for. And so, so that reputation for, for delivering, for being cumplidora, as they say in Spanish, is, is very important. I should point out, too, obviously, we could go on and on about how, how death has a very unique uh, significance in Mexican culture. But I don't want to go too far there either, because I need to point out that there are two other skeletal folk saints in the Americas, San La Muerte of Argentina and Paraguay, and Rey Pascual or King Pascual of Guatemala and the southern Mexican state of Chiapas. And so, yes, there is a unique death culture in Mexico, but Argentina and Guatemala and Paraguay also produced cousin saints. So are we seeing this then as part of indigenous cultures having an impact on modern-day religion and modern-day belief in these various countries? Yeah, yeah, to some extent. If you look... If you look at the areas in which we have the development of these three skeletal folk saints, they all were important centers of rather highly developed indigenous cultures. In the case of Argentina and Paraguay, the real cradle of San La Muerte devotion is uh, northern Argentina and southern Paraguay, Guarani influence, uh, syncretizing with Spanish medieval Catholicism. Obviously, in the case of Guatemala, Mayan indigenous culture. And in central Mexico, it was uh, the Chichimex and other indigenous groups 
who brought their own religious belief systems to the table that fused with Spanish medieval Catholicism. You know, obviously, I, I hear stories all the time about miracles of of healings taking place, of of people being freed from kidnappers in Mexico City, of other people finding a job. But yeah, I don't, I don't really have the resources or more importantly, as a professor of religious studies, that's really not my charge to go out there and determine the veracity of miracles because at the end of the day, miracles are, are constructed on faith. Thank you so much, Professor Andrew Chestnut of Virginia Commonwealth University, the author of Devoted to Death, Santa Muerte, the Skeleton Saint, and the new Spanish version, Just Out. Thank you very much for joining us on Latin Pulse. Great. Thanks for having me back, Rick. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Eckhamel, and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>